0: Welcome to Next Steps, the midweek podcast from Blackhawk Church. Over the course of the 10 weeks that we're in our Rooted series, we're going to be responding to your questions about the message from Sunday or other questions related to the topic that was covered. If you didn't get a chance to check out this past weekend's message from Adam, you can find that on the same podcast channel or watch online at blockhawkchurch.com. Dot org. Adam is actually in the room with us this morning, along with his wife, Alicia, and uh, Pastor Jimmy as well. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing well. As, yeah. as good as you can be with uh, the questions that we're about to start, start <laughs> we answering. Got some, right? We got some
1: doozies.
2: Doing well and nervous.
0: Um, all right, so... On a serious note, thank you guys so much for sending in all of these questions. Uh, we can tell that this topic uh, has a lot of energy behind it. We, by far, with, um, with Adam's talk and with this topic, received the most questions we've Ever received just a ton of them flooding in. So uh, as usual, we'll probably only get through a few of them on this podcast. Uh, but we really want to try to respond to as many of your emails as possible. So thanks so much for sending those in. We'll try to get back to um, to many of you. So let's jump right in, and we're going <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna just go for it, you guys. Uh, just jump in with with kind of a hard question here. So. Um, the first question is from Rachel. She says this. She says, why eternal conscious punishment? What is the evidence for this in the Bible? Um, why wouldn't it be unconscious? Why does it have to be eternal? Um, someone else also wrote in that the official EFCA statement about hell is uh, eternal conscious torment. It's actually a little bit different. The the statement says, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment. So, it's punishment, not torment. But they say, I'm wondering if there are various views among Blackhawk pastors or if all hold that same view. So, what do we do with that? What do we do with eternal conscious punishment? What's the evidence for it? How does how does all of that work? Um, anybody want to kick us off with that? Yeah,
1: yeah, I'll jump in. So, uh, I think I think I said this on Sunday, but I think uh, this is probably some good stuff to remember. Um, the The Bible doesn't tell us everything we want to know about everything, but it is sufficient. Mm-hmm. So, what it does speak about, um, you know, it uh, it doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but it tells us everything we need to know. And when it comes to God, uh, life, salvation, those sorts of things. And um, boy, there's a lot that we want to know about this topic in particular. And for some reason, God in his wisdom hasn't given us all the answers to everything that we want to know. So just saying that, I think from the beginning, I think is a good disclaimer. And then also just, we enter into this conversation with a lot of humility. Um, We, yeah, there are, we're, uh, I'm not God. (laughs) Certainly my, uh, my preferences Uh, don't shape reality and so we will kind of try to look to the Bible as much as we can today Um, but also like actually we're all on a journey with this so you know our Charles said at the beginning of this series yeah like all of our pastors you know would like affirm our statement of faith and we're all still wrestling man I'm like Preparing for this was probably the hardest thing I've had to do in terms of speaking and communicating and studying. (laughs) There was a lot of things that I was like, "Oh, there's things I wish were true," and you know, I'm like, "There's probably things people would like us to say that we won't say," and things. uh, I want to
3: draw our attention to that quick. I think
1: any any time that we, as you know,
3: Bible believing Christ followers, find ourselves in a position where we really want something to be true. Um, that should be like a flag for us to like really dig in and do the mm. work and the research um, instead of just like being okay with wanting something <laughs> to be true right mm-hmm. Like I think that's a really important thing like not just on this topic but on many topics like if we're if we feel like we're pushing back with something that we just really want to be true, like push pause. And it's time to do some of the work, yeah, to really figure out what does the Bible say, what is, what has been true throughout church history in terms of belief. Like, how can I how can I learn what
1: might be actually true? Yeah, that's so good because actually, the I mean, the scripture is pretty clear. We we did a podcast, actually, Jimmy. We did the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, there is a battle inside of us between the flesh and the spirit, and so sometimes our desires are actually like. It's like the desire of the spirit saying, Oh yeah, there's something good there. And oftentimes it's the opposite. And so it is sort of like a blinking yellow light that just says caution, dig in, and wrestle. And and we are a community at Blackhawk where we um we always say you don't have to believe to belong, right? That there is you can come and this is a free space to wrestle a statement of faith feels very um it can feel like the walls are really high like here here's who we are here's who we're not you guys should know Art the history of the EFCA and the statement of faith like it is intentionally designed to actually for the walls to be pretty low mm-hmm. compared to a lot of other denominations and statements of faith there is a lot of room to wiggle and to wrestle and to have differing ideas about some of this stuff and so you guys should probably just know like we're actually a pretty like we want to keep the main things, the main things. And there are some parameters, but that like yeah. circle the bull'seye of who we are is actually pretty, pretty big comparatively. So
2: um, and I was gonna say just um to the to the question that was asked, and like, mm-hmm. where do we get the idea of um, eternal conscious punishment from the scriptures? Um, I I don't think we'll read all of these passages, but for those of you who really want to go to the Word of God and find out where does this come from, um, some places, the idea of it being eternal um, is 2 Thessalonians 1.9 is one place where the Apostle Paul talks about it. Jesus actually talks about hell actually more than any of the other New Testament writers. He talks about hell a lot. And some places where Jesus talks about it, and it is, he'll use the phrase, eternal destruction, eternal fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew 25, 41 and 46. Um, Matthew 5, Matthew 18, 8 and 9. Mark 9, 43. Um, those are a few of the places. So if you actually, that, that's not exhaustive, but if you actually want to uh, write those down and go look them up for yourself later, that could be helpful. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and thank you. Boy, our, our co-host today, Jimmy, I think she's pretty awesome. <laughs> she's pretty wonderful. Um, Keep she's this my wife. rated PG, Adam. She's <laughs> my wife. She's my wife.
0: <laughs> I am currently taking a sip of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me... Uh, I know you're going to jump in. Let, yeah, me, yeah. let me ask a follow-up question yeah, yeah. so we can kind of get at the, the core of this question mm-hmm. a little bit. What? Um, so our statement says eternal conscious punishment. What do we think... That means? What are some of the possibilities of what that actually looks like? Yeah, yeah, that's where I was going
1: to go. So, um, the uh, usually like when the scripture speaks about our two eternal destinies, uh, they're usually seen in parallel, right? There's like life and death, um, there's blessing, there's cursing, and almost kind
2: of like two rays, kind of like two rays moves through
1: eternity. Yeah, you'll see that all over the place. (laughs) And so, um, You know, uh, there is some caution here, I'll say. There's a lot of uh, metaphor and imagery and language that is like, okay, the consciousness and the not pleasantness of that state, like, seems uh, like it's hard to dismiss those things. Um, But uh, this is what I was going to say. The opposite of life isn't torture, but it it is death. And spiritually speaking and biblically speaking, death is a state where we are um, out of union and disconnected from God. Uh, and so I know there are some folks, as they think about this topic, um, you, for there to be separation and sort of uh, a corruption or uh, disintegration of our humanity, that that doesn't um, necessarily mean there has to be like Actual fire and torture that's mm-hmm. part of it. Yep. But that uh, to be excluded is uh, and to wrestle and to deal with that is that that, is, that can be a conscious state. Um, and it can be one that is like pretty terrible, like, especially when you think about God being the source of all goodness, the source of all life, the source of all, you know, kind of love and that sort of stuff. So I say all of that. And at the same time, I'm like, boy, there are some scripture that it sounds like pretty rough you know, when you read, like, what that existence will look like. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think um, C.S. Lewis has been helpful for me um, wrestling with this idea and and a little bit the difference between the idea of eternal conscious punishment versus torment. Um, I think it's, you know, when we think of um, choosing life apart from God— and the, the decision that, you know, even on earth and our, if our sin is really unbelief and a desire, I think at root for like independence from God, then, you know, like Adam talked about in the sermon on Sunday, death is sort of the fullness of that. Mm-hmm. And, and Lewis talks about, you know, the way he frames it in The Great Divorce is sort of like it's the, it's the ongoing choice of, you know, God gives us over to our desire to be apart from Him. Mm-hmm. And and it's sort of the continuation, and then the fullness of that. He also talks about how uh, you know the the symbols in um, the the scripture uses. I mean, I think the two most common metaphors are fire and darkness, which obviously, I mean, it, it can't be literal because those don't go together. Um, I think mm-hmm. Adam said that and made that point <laughs> on Sunday. But, at you least, know, literal, the, at
1: least in the way we think of fire and darkness working. Yeah, and, and I, Jesus I mean, I also know.
2: uses a metaphor of. Of worms. and But the idea is, I mean, fire and worms, they get their symbolism for deconstruction and decomposition. And so when you think of our souls, um, sort of a whole soul that's intact, or that really isn't intact apart from God, and then it's slowly um, disintegrating and decomposing into its various parts over a billion years. <laughs> like, that what are you, it's a, a soul sort of turning in on itself where there's, you know, anger at God, blame toward God, and a soul that's only able to think about itself versus, um, you know, I think I think what Lewis says is God is going to give us what we want in the end. Like if it's, um, if our desire is to behold the beauty of the Lord and live as, with Him as our Savior and our Master for all of eternity, that's what we're going to (laughs) get. For a soul that wants to live independently from God, God is going to give us over to that.
0: Yeah, I'm going to keep us moving a little bit uh, with a follow-up question that someone um, wrote in that I think corresponds, but it says, why would God, why would a good God, I'm going to insert the word good, but why would a good God create people that he knows will ultimately reject him and live eternally in hell? So if this is a possibility uh, for people, why would God create a world in which that's, that's something that could happen?
1: Yeah, Chris, you want to go ahead and answer that one? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, Adam, uh, I'm just the host today, so you guys, you guys go for it.
1: Oh, oh man! I mean, I'm like, okay, this is this is this is hard. I feel like there's, um, yeah, I, 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 there's some stuff I think we have to hang on to, and so feel free, feel free to jump in. Yeah. Uh, so we do know God is good. I mean, I think the Scripture is clear on that, and we know that He will be just and do the right thing in the end. Um, you know, my, actually, my kids ask me this question frequently. They're like, "Why would he do that?" Or why would why would the devil exist? You know, and it's
3: the right question. It is the ask. right question. I think our intuition on this question mm-hmm. is is spot on, and we're invited to wrestle with this. Like, it it feels really incompatible, mm-hmm. and so I think it's, Many of you listening are asking this question. It is a good question that we, we need to be asking and pondering and praying about.
1: Yeah. So maybe I can offer some stuff that have been helpful for me. And then if you guys have some stuff that could be helpful for you too, I think that's good. Well, I, I think first of all, to know that like uh, the, our biblical framework, our Christian worldview is simultaneously more pessimistic about our human nature than kind of our culture at large. And it's uh, also in some ways more optimistic too, um, especially when we live in like, you know, 20, 21st century America in the West, we're influenced by humanism and some other things that believe like, oh man, humans are so good. We're capable of so many beautiful things. We're basically good. We just kind of have to overcome some of our junk, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we look at the scripture, I think it's like Ephesians 2, right? Where it talks about who we are apart from Jesus. It's really pessimistic. It's like we're dead in our sins. We are objects of wrath. We are like Mm. disconnected from God, the covenant, the promises. It is like, actually, like we are way more messed up than we think. Um, And I would say on a personal level, that's hard for me to swallow because I don't necessarily feel that way, Mm. And comparatively, when I look at the world, I feel like I'm pretty good. And even before I knew Jesus, I kind of thought, I'm not really bad. But I think the biblical picture of our anthropology, of who we are as humans, is way more pessimistic than the culture we live in. And so to believe those things are true, that's just like, that's pretty hard to swallow. Um, But simultaneously, I think it's more optimistic, too, because it actually says we are... uh, In union with God, we are more capable of good than we are on our own. That we are like, we are really messed up and we're redeemable. Like, I think the narrative in our culture is like, you're bad, you screw up, you're irredeemable. We want justice. We want to drop a justice bomb on social media or real bombs in the world for people we disagree with, we think are bad. And Jesus, the biblical worldview is like, yeah, we are really messed up. And yet we are so loved and so valuable, God would come after us. So in the end, I think with my kids, the way I sometimes explain this uh, is like, okay, God loves his creation. He loves us. Yeah,
3: 1 Timothy 2 says that God wants all to come to know him and be saved. Now, I don't know the answer to the question, does God get what he wants? Right? Like for every person. I think the answer is like... Probably not, Um, but that should at least orient us toward the heart of God Mm -hmm. for his creation, whether, right, like, you know, we think of people born into majority Muslim countries. I think part of what this question is getting at, you know, there's an almost 100% chance that that person is going to grow up believing something different than this, Um, but God's heart is for that person to come to know him and be saved. Mm-hmm. And I think orienting ourselves and our lives toward a God who desires that will impact the way we you know, share the gospel, the way we live our lives to invite more people into this story mm-hmm. of hope and heaven. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a passage where Paul talks about our present sufferings aren't, aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another pastor saw it's like Christ having been slain from the foundations of the world. There's this idea that like, and honestly, I wrestle with this. So, um, but somehow this feels profound in my soul and I'm still trying to unpack it. But like before God created anything, like I picked like the Trinity uh, together, you know, the father is like out of their joy in communion and unity and creation was like, let's create people to share in who we are and our beauty. And they're like, yeah, but uh they they will reject it. And and you know, and the son being like, okay, then I will go and I will, I will die to redeem them. Hmm. And and still like, yeah, but they'll say no to that. And the spirit will like, well, I'll come and I'll awaken their hearts so that they can and somehow, like a world that you know, there is some there is some theology about like the dignity of choice and a universe full of free beings versus slaves being ultimately better. You know, there's some picture like that. But somehow in the end, if we would never have fallen in all of the junk in all of our human history, sometime when Jesus comes back and we enter into eternity, like there will be a knowledge of who God is and his love for us, like that an incarnate, God, man, Jesus, bearing the wounds of our redemption in eternity, like somehow that will whisper of more love for us than we could have known even in a world that never experienced the pain and the brokenness, that somehow there will be a realization of like, oh, he loves me, yeah, that's true. And yet in eternity, seeing what he went through to redeem us, there will be like, oh, wow, he loves me. Uh That would give us the chance to be able to experience life. So,
0: yeah. There's also an element there that if if human beings were going to have even just a uh, any little bit of free will at the same time, like if there's, you said the Trinity decides to create human beings, well, if there's actually going to be a genuine relationship and we're not just robots, it has to be a world in which there's the possibility that some people would would re- reject him and, and, and turn away from that. There's a Um, a thread of Christian philosophy that um, you can't support this with any one Bible verse, but it's kind of based on this idea that God is good, not wanting any to perish and that kind of thing, that God looked at all of the possible worlds that he could have created. I, I find hope in kind of this idea, looked at all the possible worlds that he could have created, and he chose to create the one where the most possible people would come to know him and to follow him, like in his goodness, in his grace. Um, he, he tried to create the world in which um, the, the most people would would end up following Him and choosing to, to love Him and glorify Him and that kind of thing. So, again, can't point to a specific verse about like how we construct a, a philosophy like that, but um, something that's given me comfort at times. Alicia, were you about to say something?
2: Well, I think, you know, as I was reading through questions as they were coming in this week— um, and preparing for this, I, I have to say, first of all, I, these are—it was so troubling to me, th- like really thinking about how am I going to respond to this, mm-hmm. and and troubling even in, to my own soul. I, like I've, I had a hard time sleeping this week. But and I was like, okay, why do I, I do believe <clears throat> in you know the depths of me that God is good, and I I do believe in the idea of two eternal destinies. And and I thought, okay, why is it that I believe that? And for me, I think it's a similar, I think it's a similar idea to what Chris just articulated. With God chose a world with free beings who could mm-hmm. who would freely choose to love Him. And I also think, you know, I just hang on to some some of the scriptures about, you know, I Jimmy mentioned the one in Timothy. I think also of Second Peter three nine that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Like He really loves us. And then I think. If you know if we're wrestling with God's goodness, the best picture we get is Jesus on the cross. Like yeah. would a God who doesn't love us willingly suffer and bear not only like the physical suffering, but bear the wrath of God for all of His people to redeem us? I think that is a, a God who loves us and who I can affirm in the depths of my soul is a good. God.
0: Mm, That's good. Thanks, Alicia. I want to turn a little bit of a corner um, for the sake of time. And we're going to wrap up, I think with two kind of more pastoral kind of, uh, yeah, hopefully encouraging questions and answers. So the first one, uh, is this. is from Caitlin. Um, thanks for reaching out, Caitlin. Good to hear from you. She says, I was talking to a friend who was interested in Christianity, but was really stuck on the idea of heaven and hell. Um, her kind, unbelieving grandma recently passed, and she felt that to accept the Christian worldview meant to condemn her grandma to hell. Um, so the mes- message of eternity felt like a curse rather than a blessing. She felt stuck. So uh, we got a lot of similar questions about like, how do, you, how do we deal with that in our own lives, but also how do we kind of help other people through similar situations? So um, you guys, what wisdom is there as we help others wrestle through these tough questions or help ourselves wrestle through these tough questions?
3: I'll start by just affirming part of the question um, that, you know, the Bible has a lot, a lot of verses that have to do with God's punishment for the wicked, right? This phrase, like, the wicked will be burned like chaff. The wicked will be no more. The wicked will be as if they've never have been, right? Like these verses are directed toward the wicked. And we're like, I feel like we can kind of resonate with that. But they're like, what about, like this question, what about my grandma who's like a loving, generous person? Or what about my non-Christian friend who like actually embodies the likeness of Christ, um, you know, not giving their life to him, but embodies the characteristics of Christ better than some of my believing friends. Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to like add that to the question of like, this is hard because of that fact, like we like or can at least resonate with the idea of the wicked being punished, but it's really hard to wrestle with the good, generous, humble, caring person, experiencing separation from God.
1: Yeah. And I think that's like, um, boy, that's not new to the narrative of the scripture. I think from start to end, there are families and people Mm -hmm. who love each other or don't love each other very much, like coming to different places and different conclusions about Yahweh and about Jesus. And You know, I'm like, I I just think, oh, yeah, that's really, that's really hard and it's tender. um, And it's really normal. I think, uh, like many things, when we come to conclusions um, that are different than people we love, that can feel like a betrayal, right? If it's politics, you know, that keeps like uh, around the Thanksgiving table like you know you're how are we raised you better than, you know I just think we are communal people and we are raised in community and so to come to land on different places than people we love is hard in general but then when it comes to this one it's really hard you know and so um, yeah yeah were you gonna say something Alicia
2: well I think it's helpful to remember that um, you know what um, what we believe, doesn't change the reality of what is, hmm. and so um, whether or not um, this this woman, I mean, if she chooses to believe, she is not the one who condemns her grandmother mm-hmm. to life apart from Christ. The you know, thankfully, none of us. I'm not condemning
1: anyone. <laughs> like, I'm so the, glad that's not up to me. Yeah, yeah,
2: it is not up to us. It is up to the Lord, and so I think you know for. For anyone who's wrestling with this, I might just say, you know, our what we can do is look at the look at the scriptures, look at the evidence before us, search out like what what um you know, what is the objective truth and whether or not we're going to believe it. Um the other thing that's helpful to me and this I would just say, you know, just thinking Uh, with people I have loved who have passed, who I have thought, oh, in this life, they sure did not profess Christ. I do think, um, I think of the thief on the cross often, Mm, and like, it really, you know, what knowledge of Jesus did that man have? We we really don't know. I mean, he could have maybe heard...
1: Maybe they had a theological discourse. It doesn't tell (laughs) us. Probably not.
2: But all we see is a very small seed of faith in that man Mm -hmm. to say, Jesus is good. Jesus did not deserve to be up here. And Jesus affirms that that man is going to be with him in paradise. And so... So I think you know who knows what goes through someone's mind in those last moments, mm-hmm. um, and whether or not they will affirm like, "Oh Lord, I'm sorry," or "Oh Lord, I," you know, "I we can't know." And so, so to me, it's helpful to even hang on to a glimmer of hope, and it also I think can motivate us for those people that that we're not sure about. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, I remember my when I, we lost my grandfather. Who passed away at 92, and my parents? His whole life, he'd been a professing like unbeliever. My parents had probably shared the gospel with him like 20 times, um, sometimes in a heated way. But he was he was just sort of a deist. Like if there's a God, I've been good enough. I'm gonna go. And he was a real. I mean, he was a pillar in the community. Like a really good man. And I remember when he his like health turned, and we knew he only had like a matter of days. Um, I. I just remember being up late at night thinking of my grandfather apart from Christ. And at that point, it motivated me. I thought, OK, my parents have shared the gospel with him, but I never had. And I was living in a different city, and my grandfather was hard of hearing. So I decided the best way is to write him a letter. And my dad sat there with him and read it to him. And in the like days before my grandfather died, he made a profession of faith. And so I think, you know, it's sort of both of those things. Like we can have hope, we don't know what's gone through someone's mind, and it can motivate us to share about the hope that Christ offers. Yeah,
3: yeah throughout church history, um, you know, one of the things I learned in researching for some of these questions throughout church history, hope for non believers has been like a part of this whole following Jesus thing. And not till like, you know, the 20th century when, you know, modern thought and like the idea of like being certain about things really crept into the church was there like this idea that we are certain of people going to hell. What we can be have assurance of is that if you give your life to Christ in this life, you will be with him forever. And that Mm -hmm. is beautiful. And that puts the emphasis on like us, right? Like even if we have hope for non-believers, we are still motivated for Mm -hmm. evangelism, in our world like absolutely a hundred percent um but it was it was cool to learn like throughout history there's been this hope for non-believers like you described like that how big is god's grace in that last moment of someone's life for them to have the opportunity mm. to see jesus yeah. and know his love
0: that's good, you guys. Uh, final question, just for the sake of time. <laughs> We've got about two minutes to answer <laughs> this uh, this kind of big question, but here we go. Uh, hopefully I'll end on a note of, of hope and comfort here. Um, Amy says this. She says, I've always wondered if we will recognize friends and family in heaven in the same manner we do on earth. Uh, when I go to heaven, will I see my dad and recognize him um, as the man who I loved as my father and teacher and provider, or will he just be another nice man in heaven? Um, When someone important dies, we're reminded at the funeral that we will one day see them again, but I worry that it won't be a joyful reunion with someone we've missed so desperately, but rather Mm. more like seeing an acquaintance again. So how would you guys answer that question?
1: Mm, Yeah, we were talking about this. Um, When you see your dad, he won't just be alive, but he'll be fully alive. Mm. And you will too. And I think, man, there'll be more joy in that. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. You know, like you'll see him alive and vibrant. The only picture we ever get in the scripture of someone who's been resurrected we have someone who was raised from the dead, but that's not like resurrection hope. Mm -hmm. And the only person we see is Jesus. And so he was uh, different. At first, people are like, wait, what? And then when they saw it, then they were like, "Oh, it's him!" And they were so overcome when they realized it was Jesus. They like went running. They jumped out of boats with their clothes on. They could. They did everything they could to have that reun- re- like reunion scene yeah. with Jesus. And I think, man, I think it's gonna be a it's gonna be better than just seeing someone you recognize because you're gonna see someone you recognize. It, the way they were always meant to be. Hmm. And they'll see you the same way. And you're going to celebrate seeing each other. And I think you're going to celebrate seeing each other like, like... As you were always meant to be. As you were always meant to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah Paul uses the language in 1 Corinthians 15 of glorified bodies and I think we see that with Jesus there's like he walks through a wall so there's some some pretty cool things that he can do with his glorified body but at the same time it still resembles his earthly body they see the scars on his hands and um and that kind of thing so there's some uh, still some mystery there but they certainly recognize him. Um, But man, such a hopeful thing when we start to think about the new heavens and the new earth and what that will be like with no more crying or pain or tears. um, People that bodies uh, aren't operating at full capacity right now won't have to deal with that anymore. They'll be fully healthy, fully alive. I I love that answer, Adam. So um, yeah, we we can find some comfort in that. Uh, I think we're gonna wrap up there for the day. Again, thanks so much for all of the questions that you guys submitted. I'm sorry that we couldn't get to all of them, but hopefully we'll, we'll try to respond to as many of those as possible. Um, and thanks, Adam, Alicia, and Jimmy for answering these questions. You guys, if you could have seen the, the email thread going around um, previous to this, uh, we we take this seriously. This is heavy stuff. Um, we're like, do, is it still, is it too late to back out of this? Like we, uh, <laughs> you know, the, these are really hard things to, to answer and we're wrestling through them too. Um, but we hope that, yeah, hopefully this brings a little bit of clarity, but also just hope and comfort. Uh, we spent most of the time talking about how, but, um, but man, we have eternity w- with God to look forward to If you didn't get to, a chance to listen to Adam's message, uh, go back and do that. There's so much hope and, and comfort wrapped up in that. Uh, well, that's it for this week. Uh, so join us on Sunday in person or online as we worship together and um, wrap up our Rooted series with a talk from Matt on Jesus' return. And then I'm sure there will be a lot of questions about that as well. So, uh, I'm not signed up for that one. <laughs> You're not? Yeah. So that's <laughs> all emails to M. Metzger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll have another uh, robust conversation around that. So look forward to that. All right, you guys, have a great week. Thanks for listening.